Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to the conversation. In today's episode, we're going to do a deep dive on emotion and vibration. And for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to use the terms interchangeably. Emotion equals vibration. Now, if you've been following the podcast for any length of time, you know that I've been talking extensively about law of attraction and manifesting. Now, if you're not necessarily in that conversation, that's okay. Because the whole world of emotion is a human experience. And so you're going to glean a lot of uh, value out of this podcast. I do have a feeling that this could be a two-part episode. So be prepared to pick up a a second half of this conversation in an additional episode. Now, I just have a feeling. I don't typically script out the episodes. I have a general outline. And just looking over the outline, I realize that my other-than-conscious mind will probably add to this. And so just be prepared to possibly pick up the conversation at least in two parts. Okay, and I don't usually suggest this, but perhaps you want to sit down with a notebook or a pad and paper and a pen. Or if you take notes on your device, then do that. Or you just be prepared to listen to this again because there's going to be a lot of gold nuggets. Much of this you may have heard before in different ways, but some of it is going to be positioned in a way that I think you've never heard of it before. And so be prepared for some ahas. Like I said, we're going to talk about emotion and vibration interchangeably. Now, as far as law of attraction goes, the higher the vibration, the more elevated the emotion, the better it feels. It'll feel like joy and love and acceptance, satisfaction. And the lower the vibration, the less amazing the emotional response. Feelings such as fear and suffering and depression and just feeling stuck. And so that's kind of the range that we're going to play in. There is a middle road. There is an equilibrium or homeostasis where we have our emotional set point. Now, this is important to understand. Your emotional set point or your normal way of functioning may not necessarily be at a place of recovery. Homeostasis in general is that range that our biological mechanism operates in in order to rebuild, repair, keep the environment, internal environment, at a place where we're in growth and recovery. Now, one important concept to realize that at any given moment, your emotional state is equivalent to a specific biochemical cocktail. On the positive side of the spectrum, we have endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. These are neurochemicals. These are produced in the brain and also in our gut. They're actually produced in virtually every cell as well. They do call them neuropeptides or neurochemicals because they were once thought only to be produced in the brain. But science has evolved and we realize that they are occurring all over and in different parts of our body. Now, on the bottom side of it, the stress response, the stress chemicals are adrenaline, cortisol, and norepinephrine. These neurochemicals are meant to be used in an acute phase or a very short period. Acute means short period. Chronic means ongoing. 
And so the stress response is meant to be of short duration. We have a scare, we have a, a challenge, and we have to rally the body, rally the animal in order to fight, flee, or freeze. We, we, that's our stress response. And so when the adrenaline and the cortisol is dumped in our system, it's meant to mobilize our system. And as such, it actually shuts down certain uh, metabolic pathways inside the body. Because when you're in the mode of fighting, fleeing, or freezing, when you're fighting for your life, you don't necessarily have to worry about digestion, reproduction, regeneration. There's a lot of things that are shut down to economize resources and mobilize the, the mechanism, mobilize the organism to fight or flee. There are some background processes that are actually shut down. Now, if the stress response is of short duration, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. In fact, if we find a point where we can actually relax and take a deep breath, we go back to homeostasis. And in that process, our immune system is kicked into high gear to repair any damage that might have taken place during the fight response. But, and I mean, that's, that's in the ideal world, but most people never actually reach that point where they can take a breath, never actually reach a point where they can actually relax. They're in this kind of state of readiness on an ongoing basis. Studies have shown that about 80 to 85% of the population is in an ongoing stress-induced state. And it's not necessarily over the top, but, you know, if you're at 100% ready for action to fight or flee, most people hover right at around 70 to 75% of readiness. So people don't typically reach a point where they actually relax. And you can probably check in with yourself and make an assessment. Where do I typically live? Do I live in a state of subdued stress? Or do I have moments where I am completely relaxed, full of joy and love? Or am I always kind of on edge, always kind of on the ready? Now, this is detrimental on the stress side of it because, remember, when we're in the stress response, there are certain metabolic pathways that are shut down because they're not needed when we're in the ready, when we're in that mode to fight or flee. Digestion, reproduction, regeneration, cellular repair, that stuff has been shut down. And so when we're in this chronic stress state, this ongoing low-grade stress state, we never actually fully digest our food anymore. We don't necessarily reproduce new cells in the same way that process has been inhibited based on the biochemistry of cortisol and epinephrine. The other process is cellular regeneration. Now, what happens when we're in this stress state, cells still divide. Every second, there's about 100 million cells that die. Every second, there's about 100 million cells that are created. And because of the chronic stress response, this process is inhibited. Now, regeneration... Inside each cell, and I'm sorry if this is going to sound very like biology 101. Now, inside each cell, there are a set of chromosomes. And the chromosomes contain the DNA, the actual blueprint of the material on how to specifically recreate the cell. Now, in your mind's eye, you can think of a chromosome as a stick figure with its hands raised and its feet spread out. And at the tip of the arms and at the tip of the feet of this figure that you're picturing in your mind is a little binding called a telomere. 
Now, you might imagine your shoelaces at the end of your shoelaces is a little plastic cap at the end that keeps it from fraying. This is what a telomere looks like. And so, when we're in a chronic stress response, that telomere is not repaired because the production of telomerase has been inhibited. And so, as cells divide, and it's happening all the time, these telomeres are not being repaired over time, and so the ends of the chromosomes begin to fray. And because those telomeres are shortening and the ends of the chromosomes are fraying, as they match up with other chromosomes to divide, there are more mistakes occurring because of the damaged DNA. And this damaged DNA, as cells reproduce, actually create what many people refer to as the aging process. And I think that's a big misnomer because much of what is referred to as the aging process is actually cellular degradation and damage because we're in this fight-or-flight response the majority of our lives. This is why giving ourselves a period of recovery on a daily basis, and that is sleep, that's meditation, that's rest, an opportunity to actually take a deep breath, ideally three or four deep breaths. When we can meditate, when we can take that nap, we engage the relaxation response. This is the opposing response to the stress response. And when we can engage the relaxation response, we provide an opportunity to heal. Now for a moment, I want to talk about the makeup of the body. Now, as a human being, our bodies are made up of about 50 to 100 trillion cells that are ours. And then there's another 100 trillion cells that are considered our microbiome or the good bacteria that exist in our digestive tract and also on the outside of our skin, in our eyes and all over. Without this beneficial bacteria, without this uh, additional 100 trillion cells, we would most likely die because that helps make up our immune system. And so we're not necessarily all by ourselves. We have a community of cells. Now, Remember, 50 to 100 trillion cells, most people do not have a real good representation of what a trillion looks like or how that might be represented. So we'll use dollar bills or whatever paper currency you use. So imagine a stack of bills, one on top of each other, 14 stories tall. Now wait, we're not done. Now imagine that stack of bills, 14 stories tall, now covering an entire soccer field or football field. So you have multiple stacks of bills stacked 14 stories high all across the football field. That is one trillion. That's just one trillion. And in your body, you have 50 to 100 trillion cells. Now understand that if you take any one of these cells out of your body and put them in the appropriate medium, say in a Petri dish with some nutrients, They will grow and reproduce independently of your body. And so it could be said that each of these little cells are sentient, meaning that each cell is like its own little individual. Each individual cell thinks. Each individual cell eliminates, reproduces, nourishes. So it participates in all the different mechanisms that an actual person would. Each individual cell is an entity all by itself. When these cells are observed under an electron microscope, you can actually photograph the bioelectric charge, the bioelectric field around that cell. So it emanates energy. It is a field of consciousness. But remember, we have 50 to 100 trillion cells inside our body. So collectively, create a field of consciousness. 
it could be said that this is our subconscious mind. Now, understand, this is a field of consciousness. And I said earlier that these cells think. And you might be asking, what does a cell think? How many profound thoughts can a cell have? Well, it's essentially a binary response. And so the cell is always in the process of assessing, am I in danger or am I in growth? Because if I'm in danger, then that is the stress response. If I'm in growth, that is the love response. That is the relaxation response. And so again, the cell is always in the question, am I in danger or am I in growth? And so you can check in with yourself right now. If you consider your body and you're just standing there, which way do you lean? Do you lean towards the side of being in danger, of stress? Or do you lean towards the side of love and repair and regeneration? As you take that assessment of which way you lean on a regular basis, that is an indication of what your emotional set point is. Another way of thinking what is my emotional set point is what is my general emotional response day in, day out? How do I typically feel day in, day out? Do I look forward to the day or do I feel somewhat frustrated with what I have to deal with? Do I feel excited or do, is there a certain amount of dread? Ideally, to maximize our life, to maximize our joy, we want to lean on the side of growth. If we primarily live on the side of stress, then we are shortening our life. If you don't have any interest in law of attraction or manifestation, that's okay. If you just hone in on the idea that your longevity or your ability to repair in your immune system is dependent upon which side are you leaning? Are you leaning towards the side of growth or are you leaning the side of fear and stress? Making that determination and then making a correction is going to change your life, change your level of health and wellness. Now, you might be saying, Daniel, you don't understand my life. If you had my life, if you had the things that I had to deal with, you too would feel a lot of stress. You too would feel a little bit of fear. You too would not necessarily be able to uh, be high vibe. You know, that makes me mad sometimes. It's interesting to me when people get irritated with the idea of living at a higher vibration. In fact, there is a whole movement telling people to embrace the negative side of emotions. And that to not embrace that side is considered toxic positivity. Now, I'm not a big proponent of toxic positivity, and I'll dive deeper into that idea. But if you just consider embracing and living more in the negative aspect, really owning it and not necessarily running away from it, you're living on the side of stress and fear. And long term, that is not conducive to health and longevity. It actually dampens your immune system, hampers your ability to respond to threats. And to me, that is not ideal. So let me explain a little deeper why there is this resistance to actually living in a higher vibe state. Why there seems to be some trouble in maintaining it. See, some people reach it, you know, they'll have a day or two of it, and then there's a backslide down to the other side. And it just seems like it's all futile. Now, to explain this, recall that we live in an emotional set point. This is our habitual way of being. Now, the body is very adept at acclimating to changing circumstances. We as a species are one of the more adaptable organisms on the planet. For a personal example of this, 
In the last three months in Texas, it's been in triple digits almost every day. It's been hot, extremely hot, about 105, 109 most days. It's by no means the hottest place on earth, but day in, day out, it's typically hot. Now, when I was going outside early in the summer, it was oppressive. It was really hard to be out there. But I've been able to work outside longer and longer and be out there on an ongoing basis because my body has been acclimating to the increase in heat. Now, most nights, it's still at 8 o'clock, hovering right about 100 degrees or about 98. But last night, last night, it was 89. At 7 o'clock at night, it dropped down to 89 degrees. And it felt, I mean, that's almost 90 degrees. That's, That's hot for a lot of people. But at 90 degrees, it felt like 70 because it was 15 degrees cooler than it was early in the day. And so it just felt so nice felt very pleasant because my body had acclimated. Now, when I first moved to Texas from Michigan about 17 years ago, that summer, it was in, again, triple digits. It was 109, 110. Even in Michigan, like the hottest day would be 86, maybe 90, 93. And that was hot. But that first year, every day was 109, 110, 108, 109. It was relentless. And I was spending a lot of time outside. I was actually loving the heat, and I acclimated fairly quick. I didn't realize how quickly or how much until I went home to Michigan to visit my family around Labor Day. It was 85 degrees, and they are all complaining about how hot it is. Well, I've just spent the whole summer at 109, by and large, and 85 was damn cold to me. I had a jacket on. I was shivering. It was so much colder than I had been used to all summer long. It, I, I couldn't understand it. Everyone around me is sweating, drinking beer, and saying how hot it is. And I have a jacket on, and I could hardly keep warm. That was my first palpable contrast in how my body adapted to changing conditions. But what about you? So if you live primarily in a stress response day in, day out, if you checked in with your your body and you're leaning, the majority of your cells are leaning towards the danger side, then your body has adapted towards being or living more in that stress response in order to maintain homeostasis and not die. And so it has kind of changed the systems around. Some of your redundant systems have gone offline and that you have existed in this biochemical state of fear and distress. That feels normal. That is your emotional set point. And so, because that is your set point, if you consider it like a straight line, and you rise above that line, feeling joy, you may, maybe you have a couple days of just elation. You're, you're celebrating, you're having fun, you're, you're experiencing victory, and it's high. It's a high vibration. But your body's not used to it. And so in order to come back to homeostasis or that set point, you'll actually dip below it and have a few days of distress, maybe malaise, depression. It'll feel like depression. You might not call it depression, but you'll just feel like, ugh, like you can't get going, no energy. Your body is actually recovering from your bout of joy. And over time, this is why people say it's actually uncomfortable to feel good, uncomfortable to be in joy, uncomfortable to experience higher vibrational states. 
because for the simple fact, you ain't been used to it. You haven't been used to it for a while. And so it's going to feel a little more uncomfortable. It's going to feel a little more unnatural. This is what this is what's given rise to toxic positivity. Oh, you can't feel too good. You, like that's bad for you. You're ignoring things. Well, this is the end of the first episode. And I'm going to get more into how you can take control, how you can process effectively mucky muck feelings in a way where you're not living in it, wallowing in it, in it for a chronic period of time. The idea is if you feel a negative thought, you process it and you release it. You got it for a reason. And I'm going to talk about in the next episode why we feel pain. What's the purpose of pain? What's the purpose of these less than amazing feelings? There's a reason there. We're not meant to stay there. We're meant to transmute them, alchemize these feelings to a higher vibration. And we'll dive deeper in part two of this episode. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure.